down because of foreign wars we wage More to do with the colors blue and red Many laws and too much government Can you tell me where the Constitution went? Bill of Rights is just hanging by a thread So many people try to cross the border Politicians build a new world order Too many minds are convinced they should be led I've gotta be free The way God made of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. But as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tapp, committing live from historic Rome County, Tennessee, and ever so happy to be with you live. Time of the live broadcast for those of you who are hearing the show after the fact, though rebroadcast on terrestrial radio stations across the country, as well as the podcast going up immediately after the broadcast is completed. Uh, It's Friday. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Friday evening. It is March 19th. It is 2021, and it's a few brief moments after 7 p.m. Eastern time, so welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, Two-hour live broadcast here in the first hour. I am scheduled to be joined by retired Lieutenant Commander E. Ray Moore. Now, the good colonel is still currently the director of the Exodus Mandate Project, as well as the chairman of the public schools exit and author and very busy guy all the way around. Very busy. And yet somehow I managed to meander my way into a schedule. Uh, Hopefully we can keep that schedule. I I never count my chickens before they hatch, and I never think I'm actually going to talk to a guest until I have them on the phone. Uh, Experience has taught me this. Uh, Also, in the second hour, I'm scheduled to be joined once again, returning guest author of 
Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. Now also host of a brand new podcast called The Mysteries of Watergate. Yes, that's right. Once again, we're talking about the man who has been a practicing attorney for a long time, continues to do so, by the way but is best known around the country as Deep Throat's lawyer. Ladies and gentlemen, coming back again in the second hour, John O'Connor. So uh should be an interesting, interesting couple of guests. Now, quick shout-out to the posts that are already in the chat room. First one in, which is the norm, but doesn't always happen. We have Chief. He, of course, is the host of a great show himself. It's called Simple Facts of Life. If you're interested, and I highly recommend you check it out, by the way, you may go to blogtalkradio.com. When you land on that homepage, you'll see a little search bar at the top. You can put in QMCUSN. Or if you forget to do that when you decide to go back later and check it out, just put in the name of the show, Simple Facts of Life. You hit the search bar either way. Now, the QMCUSN will take you straight away to him. You know, it kind of stands out. It's unique, right? However, you, you put in Simple Facts of Life, you'll have to scroll down a little bit because you know how searches work. They try to, to find like terms, and they assume that maybe you didn't necessarily know exactly what you were looking for. So scroll down a little bit, but you'll know it when you see it. And it's a fantastic show. I highly recommend it. We've also got Crazy Cajun hanging out with us. Uh, he, of course, was working with Ron earlier today, and uh, now he's hanging out with us, just hanging out, being part of the club, being part of the cool kids. <laughs> uh, you know, that's this is the guys in the chat room, not me, obviously. All right, anyway, let's uh, let's get into things because, like I said, got two guests. And lots of stuff going on. I'm barely going to have time to comment on much of it, let alone get into any of them. And I really, really need to get into some of it. Uh, first of all, if you hadn't heard, uh, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. was uh, planning on taking a little trip down to Georgia today. So he was getting on Air Force One, and he was walking up those steps, and it da-da-da-da-da, tumbled. Yeah, you know, he didn't fall. If you have, if you're one of the few people who haven't seen the video yet, but he he tripped a little bit. You know, he didn't come all the way down the steps or anything, but he tripped. Okay, then uh, still trying to get his balance reestablished, he tripped again, and then he tripped a third time where he went completely down on one knee, and then he pops back up, and then he makes his way on up very heroically, stops, turns, salutes. Gets inside the plane and then probably complains about hurting his knee because that's what I would do. <laughs> Those steps do not look comfortable. But anyway, uh, obviously right off the bat, what happens? People start attacking barely there Beijing Biden. You know, there's lots of good reasons to attack him, by the way. I mean, it, it, plenty of legitimate things to criticize the man about is probably a better way of saying that. Tripping and falling, not so much. Not really. It's somewhat humorous for most people when we see someone fall when we know they're okay after. And evidently, he seems to be fine. Just his pride hurt just a little bit, evidently. Based on what we've heard so far, that may change. Uh, if uh, 
Joseph's rubbing it is anything like me, he's probably not feeling near as bad right now as it will feel tomorrow morning. <laughs> so we'll hopefully see Joe be okay because you know, I don't like the man's policies. I hate the man's politics, but uh, yeah, he's a fellow human being, right? Anyway, part of what happened here as well is the White House – after some of this online tomfoolery began, uh, making light of the situation, jesting on the matter, and even some folks contending that this is yet further proof of his physical decline as well as his mental decline, the White House was compelled to respond. So the White House said that Biden, in fact, fell on a very windy day. So basically the wind knocked him down. Not sure that's the best response. I mean, you're trying to project strength and viral male machismo, right? I mean, even though they claim to hate that stuff, they still want to project it for the right individual. Now, what I love uh, to that ridiculous response, uh, Donald Trump Jr., <laughs> he responded via tweet, of course, saying technically it was a moderate breeze. It just feels so much like a, a leftist thing to say, doesn't it? Very expert troll. Uh, so hat tip there to uh, Trump Jr. Uh, if only, if only the rest of the world was quite so easy. Now, that was one of the bigger stories. So you would think – as far as everybody getting attention earlier. So you would think that would be the biggest thing going on, right? You would think it must be a slow news day. Uh, but no, <coughs> excuse me, not, not a slow news day at all. We're seeing a meeting ongoing between representatives of the Chinese government and the United States government taking place in Alaska. A lot of people I talked to today had no idea that was even happening. Media not exactly uh, lambasting this everywhere. Seems it's not going particularly well for the United States. Uh, China's come in hurling insults. China's come in uh, making accusations, and the American response has been, well, even less than tempted. It's been like deer in the headlights. Look, China's come to U.S. soil and is insulting the administration and the country as a whole. Now, you can crack on Operation P-Pads and Knee Pads all you want, China. But when you start talking about the rest of America, now I've got a problem. And you come to American soil to do it? Hmm. And you guys, stop pretending, okay, because we know you guys love Biden. We don't call him there barely there Beijing Biden for nothing. We know that you guys didn't funnel lots of cash to Hunter for nothing. The Biden family has been bought and paid for by the Chinese government, so you guys are just acting tough to try to talk tough. Or maybe you're kind of miffed at the tough talk directed at Putin, which, oh, by the way, in case you didn't hear, Vladimir, uh, in response to Beijing Biden's tough talk about how Vladimir has no soul, and so we understand each other. <sighs> Vladimir now has challenged Joe Biden to have a live, televised, one-on-one -on -one conversation. Not even, not even calling it a debate. Just wants to try to prove the fact that 
uh, Biden probably can't put three sentences together without some horrific flub. Now, I have heard some people try to make excuses for Joseph on this, saying that he's rehearsed and practiced so much because they're so afraid he's going to say the wrong things, as he has a tendency of doing, that now he's spending so much time trying to work through in his head what the coaching sessions, what the rehearsals, what the practices would allow him to say. And you know what? I, that There could be some truth to that. I mean there really could. Have you ever been in a situation? Uh, I've heard the example used of George W. Bush, who you know we spent a lot of time. I I happen to have liked uh, W. I, I think he uh, took a lot of negative hits and a lot of criticisms he didn't deserve. Now he still did some things wrong, and I had criticism for him, uh, and still do. But overall, I liked him. I thought he was generally a good guy who was generally trying to do the right thing, and a lot like Trump, especially in the earliest days, just had a lot of people around him that didn't necessarily have the same agenda. But as a result, the examples from talking to some people who knew him and who talked to him said that you know he liked to do his little stuttering thing where he kind of fumbled and looking for the right thing to say, and sometimes – because they said that that's what he was doing because they said if you talk to him behind the scenes – he was a very different guy, very just boom, boom, sharp as a tech. And given what W did before entering into politics, as far as the career, once he was past some of his youthful exuberance, we'll say, it's very easy to believe. I mean, he could not have simply coasted on the name. I mean, you could have tried, certainly would have had enough money to hide the mistakes, but you couldn't have risen to a level of success coasting on the name without having some level of wit and talent. Anyway, the, the whole point of the matter is maybe that's part of it, but it's really, really insulting the fact that they would let these people come to American soil and then besmirch the American people as well. Uh, you want to you Batter back and forth to have your uh, grr and blah and yeah, we are enemies. But uh, I, I think it would still be great to, to see a one-on-one -on -one conversation, not even a debate necessary, but a conversation between barely there Biden and the killer Putin, uh, a nickname granted by uh, Biden in his recent interview. Uh, yeah, ultimately, we're seeing a lot of people pushing rather hard, and they're not taking Biden seriously. The crisis at the border continues to exacerbate. Even some in the administration have started deferring and utilizing. They, they backed down a bit, and they're actually starting to call it a crisis as well. But they still refuse to acknowledge that this was triggered by campaign promises and statements during the debates made by Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. They don't want to acknowledge that. But they can't acknowledge that because they're still too busy trying to blame everything on Trump. Well, he had completely dismantled our – no, he stopped all the stupid crap you were doing. And now it's taking you some time to start doing stupid crap again. How about you just not go back to doing the stupid crap? I mean, is that wrong? Is that somehow uh, incomprehensible? 
Well, it is if you're a leftist dead set on destroying this country as she was founded because you simply still don't quite have enough of the coward and piven uh, <laughs> effect going on in the country just yet, do we? I mean, she's been knocked to her knees, but Donald Trump in short order showed that the country could rebound quickly if you just applied some freaking common sense. Oh, no, but uh, we have to be humane. I mean, in some of the counter-intuitive statements these people have made, uh, Biden himself, back into the ABC interview, talked about unaccompanied minors and then uh, how Donald Trump was tearing them away from their mothers. Uh, excuse me, Joe? Uh, Joe, you just said unaccompanied. Uh, as in they were alone. They were not with a parent. But bragging about the fact that they would show up and often have phone numbers on them for someone to call them. And the dirty little secret that nobody's telling you there is usually that phone number went to an undocumented illegal migrant that was a legal guardian and or parent that was already somewhere in the United States. And, of course, they're still making sure the kids get there. Oh, well, we're just contacting to make sure we can get your child there. Oh, we don't care about your status. We're not going to ask you about your status. You have government entities now trying to create lease agreements with convention centers in Dallas to move a bunch of teenagers who have been unaccompanied who've crossed the border. There's reports now of efforts to put these people on planes and ship them to states close to the Canadian border. I don't know if Justin Trudeau's been on the hotline and said, hey, send some of those great hot migrants our way, or if it's just a matter of, eh, it's really not fair if we keep them all in Texas and Arizona and California because some of these folks might change their mind about voting Democrat next election. Well, bad news is, is a lot of them probably will anyway. It's a midterm. Democrats typically don't show up in huge numbers for midterms anyway. But, you know, just say it. And of course, the push to destroy the filibuster is having more Savos fired over our heads. Elizabeth Warren has become an extremely vocal proponent of just blindsiding uh, the the filibuster. Once it's gone, says it's racist. Laid the statement that the filibuster has a tremendous uh, history of being rooted in racism. But what I find interesting and that most people, uh, because the media is the media, uh, won't call her out on is the fact that uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, who will never be president, praise the Lord, has herself utilized the filibuster. Yes, that's right. During an interview with Axios earlier this week, which most people have seen by now or at least have seen snippets from, she made the statement over and over again that the legislative filibuster is a racist thing. She continues continues to insinuate that it's nothing but racism. She said, quote, the filibuster has deep roots in racism and it should not be permitted to serve that function or to create a veto for the minority in the democracy. It's majority rules, which, oh, by the way, if it was the majority rules, if it was a true democracy, hey, Elizabeth, you wouldn't be trying to pander to minorities, would you? 
don't know, just a random thought. Something to think about for those who are out there who don't seem to understand that the filibuster is a way of protecting minority voices, the same as the Electoral College. Today, today, time of the live broadcast, Warren posted a four-minute video to a Twitter account, again, writing, The filibuster, here's what it is, and here's why it stinks. Which actually is the title of my new uh, four-minute video about Elizabeth Warren. Now, <laughs> Anyway, in this little video, it says, quote, it's time we get rid of the filibuster. For a vote on a bill to take place, a few things have to happen. One, a bill is brought to the floor. Two, senators debate the bill. Three, senators in debate. Four, senators vote on the bill. Majority wins. Except that's not really how it's supposed to happen. And oh, yeah, by the way. Not all legislation is subject to the legislative filibuster. And the one thing that makes sense to me more than anything that Joe Biden has said since he's taken office is I, I kind of dig it. I know a lot of people don't because I think it's a terrible waste of time. But he did say that uh, maybe we should bring back the actual physical filibuster, You know, actually make them take the floor and stay there. Uh, reading the phone book if necessary. We've seen some folks actually do this in recent history. We've seen Rand Paul and Ted Cruz both do this. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not against it. I really do think that they should make them do it rather than just say, I call a filibuster because then you're not really doing it. The whole point is you have to show how dedicated you are to trying to stop it, to try to slow it up, to try to kill it. I'm okay with that, mostly because I'm not a senator and would never have to. I'm sure if I was, I might feel a little different, but that's neither here nor there. She seems to think that that's the end of the scenario, and it should be majority wins. But again, I remind uh, Elizabeth and all the other Democrats, uh, particularly when they were in the minority, and that they most likely will be in the minority again as of the upcoming midterm elections. I fully suspect Republicans are going to retake the Senate. I really do. I think we are already seeing the kind of backlash and enough people uh, upset with what's happened that there's a very good chance that some of those current seats in purplish areas are going to go heavily in favor of the red team. <laughs> anyway, she continues. That's the way the founders intended it to go, at least. Here's the hitch. In 1806, Aaron Burr, yes, the one who killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel. Yeah, this is her attempt to try and somehow get people who've seen the musical Alan Hamilton to, to understand it. Oh, a very bad guy who killed the hero of the play you recently enjoyed. Well, what the hell? It's the closest thing to history some of these leftists have, so uh, I'll allow it. Uh, it. But I would like to get one of those disclaimer stickers that Disney's putting on everything. Uh, anyway, I digress. Aaron Burr said that the Senate has too many rules and should get rid of some. Yeah, really? One rule that got tossed in the trash can, the rule that said any senator could propose a vote that could cut off debate. This means this step. 
That is, of course, Warren saying as she was highlighting Senator's debate section. Uh, could, in theory, go on forever. For years, business generally went on as usual. But then Senator John Calhoun realized that he could exploit this rule change to seize more power for the southern slaveholding states by filibustering. Now, again, granted, this was a rule change that uh, was brought not long after the Senate was even a thing, and it took until then for anyone to use it. Hmm, interesting history lesson, Elizabeth. In 1917, President Wilson tired of the Senate and was obstructing more than voting, pressured the Senate to pass a rule to make sure debate wouldn't hold up voting forever and ever. In other words, they wanted to work around to end the filibuster then, a, a, a endless filibuster that couldn't be stopped. So Warren then concludes uh, this section in an increasingly patronizing tone. Uh, you may recognize it from one of my many patronizing tones, as I often bring you on a Friday night. The Senate responded with a rule called Rule 22. Not to be confused with Catch-22, which is a whole different thing. Anyway, it's also called a cloture vote. It looks like the other rule Aaron Burr had thrown into the trash can, except for one enormous difference. To end debate, Rule 22 required a supermajority, or two-thirds of the Senate. Now, a small minority in the Senate could force a bill to get through two votes a supermajority vote to end debate and a simple majority vote to pass the bill. Again, not all legislative bills are uh, subject to this, but the, the, the framework is there, right? She's technically correct, but the technicality here is I would like to point out that one-third of the Senate is not a – Small minority. It's one-third of the Senate. Now, if you're talking about a small minority, I'm thinking that's got to be 10% or less, right? I mean, am I splitting hairs? Is this me being too picky? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe that's just me. I mean, you guys can tell me. I don't know. Now, Warren gives uh, an apparent disdain for the notion of the filibuster this whole time. She literally says it made no sense. She seems to think that uh, it's rather bothersome. But I, I find that very strange considering that she herself has used the filibuster. She both celebrated others for using the filibuster, and she used it herself when, of course, it was to her political advantage. Uh, one example, back in June of 2020, Warren used the rule while the Democrat Party were in the minority in the U.S. Senate, not only – that she used to supposedly racist rule against Senator Tom Scott, a black Republican, I might add. Last June, Democrat lawmakers in the Senate voted to block police reform legislation put forward by Republican Senator Tim Scott in the aftermath of George Floyd's death. The legislation failed to surpass the 60-vote threshold assigned by the filibuster. Only three Democrats in the chamber voted to advance the bill. Warren was not one of those three. So she's on board, on board with the filibuster. 
Earlier this week, CNN Scott Jennings actually mocked Warren for her description of the Senate filibuster as being racist, saying that Warren filibustered Tim Scott. So if CNN's calling him out, that should tell you all you really need to know. Now, also, back when the Senate Republicans were pushing the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, meant to mandate care to be provided for babies that survived a botched abortion attempt, Senate Democrats used the filibuster again, with 41 Democratic senators voting to block the bill by filibustering the legislation and preventing it from advancing to the floor. The only Democratic lawmaker to vote alongside Republicans happened to be Senators Bob Casey of Pennsylvania and Doug Jones of Alabama, and Joe Manchin from West Virginia who I'm still not entirely certain is going to stay strong in his promise to keep the filibuster in place, but we'll see. Uh, you notice whose name was missing, right? Elizabeth Warren. She was on board with the filibuster because we're the inhumane ones, but they're perfectly okay with a tiny, small child that managed to survive an attempt to murder it to be denied medical care so that it can still die. That's what this bill was designed to stop. And that's what she was okay with using the filibuster to prevent. How's that for some satanic hypocrisy? Also back in May of 2020, Elizabeth Warren endorsed Wendy Davis for Texas 21st Congressional District. Posting on Twitter, uh, Warren wrote, from her famous filibuster on the Texas Senate floor for women's reproductive freedoms to working on the expansion of funding for public education. Let, 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 wait, hold up. She was celebrating Wendy Davis's filibustering effort to protect abortion. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. I don't know. Seems pretty messed up to me. All right, so uh, let me uh, let me see. I, I think we are just about uh, – to that point where I need to give my guest a call. So you guys stay right where you're at, and I will be back on the other side. Don't go anywhere, okay? Is the Corona China virus really that big of a deal? Hmm? Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, for the first time in global history, governments all over the world bowed to the demands of a tiny little doctor whose last name is Fauci. He and his fellow globalist minions, like Bill Gates, Scarf Lady, Merkel, Boris Johnson, and Israel's Netanyahu, just to name a few, demanded the shutdown of our economies, even great theater districts like New York's Times Square. Piccadilly Circus in London and Cleveland's Playhouse Square were told the show is over. Schools were closed, etc., but from where I see things, the massive shutdown ended up exposing our republic to more harm in many ways than the Corona China virus itself, especially when you factor in the huge uptick in mental health issues among the young, including depression and suicides, to add insult to injury. The current White House occupier has allowed at least 1,500 illegal border crossers into the United States, knowing they have the China virus, which tells me the lockdowns were unnecessary. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Ron Edwards, the new voice of America. 
sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. As Americans moved west in the late 1700s, preachers braved the harsh elements, lack of roads, and threat of Indian attacks to take the gospel to the pioneers. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. Minister Francis Asbury traveled nearly 300,000 miles on horseback and preached 16,000 sermons. An army of Methodist circuit riders was inspired to go wherever the pioneers went. In the span of time, the denomination grew in number from 300 to over 200,000 members with 2,000 ministers, most of whom had little formal education. The Methodists also supported liberty for enslaved blacks in America. Similarly, the Baptists sent out farmer preachers who joyfully spread the gospel despite little education and meager wages. The preachers were in touch with the pioneers' lives with a heavy emphasis on the need for a personal conversation and salvation from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Those valiant ministers spread the gospel far and wide. The Baptists made it easy for committed lay people to be involved in God's kingdom work. As we the people reinvigorate the effort to spread the unadulterated gospel and seek providential guidance, perhaps the mission to make America great again will be fulfilled. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out the RonEdwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I was not able to get a hold of the colonel. Uh, got a voicemail, left a voicemail. Going to try to give a little time, hopefully, uh, for the colonel to call us back and see if he can get the message and give us a call. In the meanwhile, going to go ahead and do a veteran's tip of the day, uh, maybe even uh, hit uh, a Dan Wass uh, Second Amendment PSA. Uh, depending on where we're at and if the phone call comes through. Either way, uh, after I do all that, if I still haven't heard from the colonel, we'll just look to reschedule, but I definitely want to have a conversation with him. Uh, you guys stay right where you're at. Don't go anywhere. I'll be back right after this. Hello, this is Dan Perkins with your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans, Tip of the Day. Did you know that the unemployment rate for homeless veterans was twice the national average? And without proper shoes, it's hard to get a job? Here's your Veterans Tip of the Day. People from all over the country helped us with our annual Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Shoes and Socks for Homeless Veterans. There was a time this summer where we believed that probably it wouldn't be successful because of the pandemic, but decided to go ahead and do it anyway. We reached out in the local community and on the various radio shows that I'm on, asked for their support. In a little over three weeks, we received 400 pairs of shoes and over a thousand pairs of socks for homeless veterans so they can go out and look for a job and have a decent pair of shoes to wear. We at Songs and Stories for Soldiers and all the 400-plus soldiers who will receive these shoes and socks say thank you for your generosity. This has been your Songs and Stories for Soldiers, Veterans Tip of the Day. We often find ourselves arguing statistics with anti-gun people, but let's put the conversation into perspective. I'll give you some stats, but also expose the anti-gun left's real motives for gun control. First of all, don't you think that anyone who really wants to save lives would focus their attention on an area where the most lives are lost? The gun grabbers like to use the number of 30 to 40,000 gun-related deaths per year. But if we take out suicides, which are 60% of those gun-related deaths, which, by the way, are not reduced by the absence of guns, 
and we take out law enforcement related deaths, in other words, good guys killing bad guys, we're left with about 14,880 gun related homicides. But here's where it gets interesting. The majority of those gun-related homicides are gang-related. So let's say we didn't have the gang problem we have in this country. The number of gun-related homicides shrinks to 2,976 per year in America. And here's another interesting fact that the anti-gun left doesn't want you to know. The majority of gang-related violence occurs in Democrat-run cities across this country that are highly gun-restricted, by the way, and often allow violent illegals safe harbor. What that means is good people living within those cities are denied their right to protect themselves against the human violence that Democrats encourage with their bad policies. Now let's compare that to some other things that the anti-gun left could be working on if they really wanted to save lives. Drunk driving takes almost 11,000 lives per year in America. 47,000 lives are lost per year in America due to suicide bipolar disorder and schizophrenia being two of the leading causes of suicide, not guns. But one of the biggest causes of preventable deaths in America is abortion. Almost 330,000 lives are taken per year in America by people committing abortion. Now let me give you a piece of information that the anti-self-defense crowd doesn't want you to know. How many lives do you think are saved every year because of guns? The answer is two and a half million. Every year in America, two and a half million lives are potentially saved by the use of firearms. Now this doesn't necessarily mean good guys killing bad guys. This most often means just the mere presence of a gun deters a bad guy. And 46% of those lives saved are women. This is a study that was done by Gary Kleck, a Florida criminologist, and backed by data from the CDC. So why do you think the gun grabbers never share this information? Well, some would argue that they don't really care about saving lives as much as they care about disarming their fellow citizens and preventing them from independently protecting themselves and their families. Gun control is a top-down method that puts government in charge of the lives and safety of people under the guise of public safety. It's the first step in stealing the freedom our founders fought for. The anti-left has already decided that they are willing to give up their freedom to government. The problem is, they can't have their government-controlled utopian society unless you get on board. And real Americans are clearly not getting on board. Gun control is a way of forcing you into dependence, whether you like it or not. Now, we're never going to cure the evil in the hearts of killers, but we can stop them. So, to the gun grabbers, do you really want to save lives? Then get to work on the real causes of human violence and help us restore our gun rights so good people can protect themselves. Help us save lives rather than ending them before they get a chance to take their first breath. I'm Dan Wass. To check out my webcast, go to LoadedMike.com. To check out my book series, go to GoodGunBadGuy.net. Is it just me, or does anybody else feel like they needed to kind of duck down a little bit near the end of that? I love Dan Wass. I really do. i got to get him to get us a few more of those. Uh, phenomenal guy. I, I could use for them to be a little shorter for radio purposes, but what he does does require a little extra time. It works really great for short video format. Okay, I'm still hoping, fingers crossed, uh, that uh, the good colonel will give us a call back. Uh, I certainly hope everything is okay. Uh, you know, that's that's the thing when 
when you don't get an answer, you just get a voicemail, you never really can be too sure what's going on. Could have been a scheduling conflict where publishers wrote down the wrong time for them, so they're expecting something else. Uh, I've had multiple occasions, actually, where a guest thought I was going to call them an hour earlier than I did or didn't realize we were talking uh, Eastern time because I send out my time requests in Eastern, and I always – well, I say always because 98% of the time I do. Sometimes I forget because I'm a human being. Ah, hate to admit it. Uh, but usually uh, I will include that as well, and still sometimes yet uh, folks get a little crossed up on it. So I, I certainly hope that we don't have a situation like that, and I'm going to give a, another minute or two before I jump into a, another story here just because I really, really wanted a chance to talk to the colonel, but – Again, as long as everything's okay with the colonel, uh, I'll be more than happy to reschedule, and we'll have that conversation because uh, I think it's an important conversation to have. Uh, another story that is certainly worthy of our attention has a little something to do with the kind of topics that the colonel would have been talking about with us, and uh, I'm going to lean towards that story if – I don't get a call here in the next little bit. I hate it when I'm sitting here stalling. It's Friday. We should be having fun, not having to worry about what did what did Cuomo do now? Who's the next person that's come out against Cuomo? What did the governor do? And now he's threatened people too? Oh, my. What's next? I'll tell you what's next. He's not going to stay governor of New York, no matter what he wants to say and do. It's just not happening. Uh, Okay. I'm still seeing nothing. So on a very windy day where the president fell, we'll shift gears. We'll move beyond the threats and propaganda uh, from the U.S. talks with China. I may circle back around to that uh, in the second hour, though. One last peek back over at the nope. All right, let's let's do this. This involves schools and current council culture and the whole nine. So it's something that if you haven't heard about, and you may not, because it's not the kind of thing that's going to get a whole lot of press. Kind of story I really like talking about because I like being that source for things that you might hear about, but you may not get all the details, or you might not get all the details at all, or you might not ever hear about it. You can come here. Okay, so there's a North Carolina school district that now officially is saying that they need to be ignoring white parents because their children are benefiting from the system. And I'm thinking, what? Don't know how you get to that. All of the students should be benefiting. Right? I mean, am I wrong about that? I mean, please, by all means, let me know. If, if I'm mistaken, if properly running the school system as they are designed to do, as they've been chartered to do within each state, within each county, within each system, as they are created, somewhere in that charter, somewhere in the creation of the educational system that these people have tried to build, there was supposed to be an effort to teach all 
students. I, if I'm mistaken about that, please let me know. Now, the system is inherently white supremacist. The system is inherently evil. If you happen to be a leftist and possibly believe some of this BS. Maybe I'm wrong. Anyway, let's, let me read to you some of the article here. Uh, North Carolina's largest school district is encouraging teachers to ignore white parents' concerns about critical race theory. Uh, not just the critical race theory, but also the critical race theory curriculum that's being forced upon their children because, quote, white parents' children are benefiting from the system. So just ignore them. They don't know what they're talking about. They don't know how privileged they are. I don't know where the hell that voice came from. I'm sorry. Uh, the Wake County Public School System, which serves the greater Raleigh area, held an equity – again, not, not, uh, not the much nicer word of equality, but the – basically – uh, let's make it okay to be racist equity. They had an equity training that taught teachers and staff how to include critical race theory, which, of course, is the theory that America is irredeemably rooted in racism. I want you to include it into the classroom as part of equity. Yeah, not sure how even the word equity really fits there. It does not mean what they think it means, but according to the training materials that was obtained by the City Journal, the WCPSS Equity Training Conference began with a land acknowledgement. This forces teachers to recognize that they're working and teaching on stolen Native American land. You must admit it was stolen, and now it wasn't given away. It wasn't traded away for trinkets. It wasn't a situation where the native tribes simply didn't believe that you could own the land, so they made no claim to it. No, no, it's stolen. Stolen, stolen, stolen. All those mean old white European folks just showed up and said, bam, get out of here, you engines. No, really, that happened. I, I had uh, uh, official word from that from uh, – <laughs> From Elizabeth Warren. She told me all about it. She's Native American, you know. So anyway, at one point in the training, the district insinuated that white parents are a barrier to social justice because their children benefit from the system. I would kind of interject at that point. I would suggest, I would recommend that white parents may be a barrier to social justice because – when you have to use an adjective like the word social in front of the word justice, you're no longer actually trying to achieve justice. What you are in fact trying to do is tip the scales of justice. You're trying to create injustice, but since it's to fight back against previous injustice, new injustice against the other side is perfectly okay according to them. I, I really miss the days when we talked about a colorblind society because that's the way to get to where these people want to be on the subject of race without creating new racial barriers. 
this is just going to create new racial barriers. It's going to create pushback. And I would like to remind all of these people that if you push too hard, if you push too far, and you get people angry enough that they are then ready to stand up and start fighting back, literally physically fighting back in the streets, you're kind of outnumbered. Word minority. And not only that, but conservatives in this country are typically fairly polite. You know, we literally, uh, aside from some of us who are a little noisier, like myself, we're typically that quiet guy you used to know. You know, the one that, wow, you really don't want to make him mad because he's always so quiet. So if you ever get a rise out of that guy, it's going to be a volcanic explosion kind of. You know the kind of guy I'm talking about. Is that really what you're looking to do? Is that really what you want? Because that's the path you're on, and you keep pushing. You keep poking the bear. You keep prodding. So don't tell me that somebody pulling the strings, uh, holding on at the top, sending the orders out. Don't tell me that at least they don't know that that's a possibility and that they're not hoping for it. Anyway, back to the article. Quoting here, this coming from the training… What do we do with parent pushback? White parents' children are benefiting from the system. They are perceiving that they're going to lose something. Fear of loss, hard to let go of power slash privilege. Again, I'm going to have to interject. No, it's not fear of loss. It's fear that you're somehow going to make their children… Be the bad guys in your little story. You're going to turn them into bad guys that they aren't. That's what this whole narrative of changing and diluting the language about white supremacy in the first place. It's all part of systemic white supremacy. Why? Because they called everybody racist to the point that it became a badge of honor for people like me. If if somebody out there that was on the other uber left side of the argument wasn't calling me racist, I knew I wasn't doing my job because I was supposed to point out common sense and point out truth, and doing that makes me racist in their eyes. So if I'm not getting up their ire and getting them to call me that… I'm not doing it right. So when they start calling me racist because I say things like there are such things as objective truth. Ooh, racist him. You better watch it. You're going to get canceled again all over. Yeah, well, you're going to be canceled if you let them cancel you. Or unless you're fighting against Oprah. That's a different story. I'm sorry. Where do we get – how do we get to this point? Where do we now? What's happening is more and more people are finding out what is in this curriculum. More and more people are finding out that this is all about creating this narrative where young kids who didn't really fixate on color are now suddenly being forced to categorize people by color. They're starting to recognize this more instead of just saying, "Huh, oh, that person looks different. Cool." Now, so this is a black person. This is a brown person. This is – why are we having to force this distinction at a point in time when it wouldn't be made? Well, of course, you can't indoctrinate them properly and have it have such a long-lasting effect if you don't reach them earlier, younger and younger. 
Now, I would like to remind the school districts. I would like to remind the school teachers. I'd like to remind the school uh, administrators. I'd like to remind the school staff. If you work for a public school system, you are paid by these folks. And I, you know what? I'm going to say something that I'm probably going to get some pushback from. But depending on what neighborhood you're in, there's a really good chance that you're more likely getting your salary paid by those white parents than maybe some of the others. Because if you're getting back everything that was withheld in your taxes before, if you're not a property owner, if you're not paying any type of tax other than sales tax, but I'm going to go even further and say if you get income credits of some kind to the point that you're actually getting refunds, possibly larger than the amounts that were withheld, then you're not paying any taxes at all. You're just not. Now, if you're a property owner, you're paying property taxes in that district, and by rights to the county system, uh, at least in most places around the country, that's where the teachers are getting paid from. That's where the money generally is coming, other than the grants that come down from the state and, of course, come down from the federal government. They send their money to the state, and, and actually most of the state funds are actually federal funds. But hey, again, depends on where you're at and how they're handling things. Where does the federal dollars come from? Well, that's the federal taxpayers again. So, you know, there you go. Unless you are literally paying in taxes at the end of the year, federal, or paying property taxes, then you're not paying the taxes that go to pay for these people's salary or fund any of their other little curricular activities, or in their cases, extracurricular activities. So if you're not Worrying about the people that are actually paying for you to be there, maybe you shouldn't even worry about having this job. Yeah, I'm just saying. Yeah, I know. It, it sounds rude of me, doesn't it? And it sounds almost racist, and I say almost because you know what else am I supposed to say? I'm sure somebody's going to think that that's rather racist. I'm sure that somebody's going to make a big deal about it. But truth is truth. And uh, critical race theory is not truth, but because there are more and more parents finding this out, there's even an effort ongoing in one school district to collect the names of all the parents that are trying to push back, collect all their personal information like addresses and places of work. Uh, what's that about, I wonder? Hmm… Why? Because they're standing in the way of critical race theory being taught in school? Because they see it's already having negative effects on their students? I'm sorry. There's a reason why education is supposed to be local, supposed to be handled local, should stay local. And that's because parents generally do know best for their children. It's not just a, a colloquial way of thinking that we used to have back in the 1700s. It's something that should still be embraced as common sense today, not that there's very much common sense to go around these days. Another part of the training here tells teachers to not let parents deter them from teaching social justice issues. 
literally says, quote, you can't let parents deter you from the work. Mission statement for preparing students for the real world. Some students learn within school about the real world due to not learning at home about diversity, LGBTQ, race, etc. Now, this equity training provided breakout sessions for employees to learn about topics like whiteness in educational spaces, affinity groups, the prison pipeline, and of course, my ever so so very much favorite, as you've heard me go on and on about if you're a regular listener, microaggressions, uh, microaggressions in the workplace. One seminar was literally called Racial Mapping of Raleigh. <sighs> now, for those of you who may not have may have been lucky enough not to have to be involved with Zoom sessions uh, under the pandemic and don't have Zoom meetings uh, for other reasons either. If you're not familiar with the term, a breakout session means that you have this overall one main group, and then you assign into smaller groups. So you're still attached to the bigger group, but now you're not working in the bigger group. You're off to a smaller group. So I would imagine that these breakout sessions uh, where they have these individuals were probably pretty well catered to specific members of the overall group too. Like uh, I'm sure the topic of whiteness in educational spaces was probably only directed at white educators. There's a prison pipeline was probably only directed at administrators. And I would be willing to bet that microaggressions in the workplace was directed to educators of color. Now, I'm, I could be completely off base here. I wasn't part of these sessions. But knowing how this works, having seen this before, if, if you told me I had to put $10 down on who was in which groups, that's where I'd put my 10 and I'd feel pretty confident. I'm at least keeping my dead. Don't know – wouldn't expect these folks to pay up when they lost a bet, but I feel pretty good about me hanging on. Now, schools across the country, they tend to hide that they're teaching critical race theory to children because of this fear of retribution, a well-founded fear because when people find out all of the truth, even parents of color start having trouble with some of this malarkey. If I can borrow the current occupant of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue's vernacular. But at WCPSS, they did no such thing. They're not afraid. They're loud and they're proud. The training passed out a graphic that explicitly explained how critical race theory can be applied to the school setting. Un, unimaginable, unbelievable that this happens for people who are supposed to be educators. But what is even more unbelievable is I've got to reset the hour right now because I've already ran out of time, and I've barely even gotten warmed up. It's Friday, and I'm on fire, baby. All right, you guys stay right where you're at if you're here live. Uh, otherwise, if I'm saying goodbye to you right now, if you're being part of the rebroadcast, uh, remember, don't take my word for any of it. Go out, do your own homework, use your brain if you really 
want to tap into the truth. Broadcast of Tapping to the Truth. Hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are and whatever you may be doing, with all the usual caveats, of course. With you as always, I am your ever so humble and, you know, mostly peaceful host, Tim Tap, committing live from historic Roan County, Tennessee, and so very happy to be with you live on a Friday night. Hope you guys are diving headlong into a fantastic weekend, and uh, we'll kick that off together. Uh, for those of you that are listening to the rebroadcast, however, or you know, possibly could be listening to the podcast and not have paid attention, so maybe you'll get some benefit from this too. In the event that something sounds a little dated, the time I was actually sitting behind the microphone broadcasting this out was March the 19th, 2021, and it's a few brief moments after 8 p.m. Eastern, and uh, thank you so much for being here, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, if you are listening to the podcast, you are all ready in for an hour. This is the second hour of the live broadcast. I'm going to give a shout out to the folks hanging out with me in the chat room. Uh, in the order from top to bottom, we've got to Crazy Cajun hanging out with us. Glad to have you here. 
Uh, <laughs> we've got Green Beasley hanging out with us again, and uh, glad to have you here. Pianchi has uh, decided to hang out with us a bit, too. Always uh, glad to see Pianchi in with us. And, of course, Chief host of Simple Facts of Life is here as well. I'm going to also give a couple of quick shout-outs as I'm accustomed to doing at the top of the second hour to a few folks who actually tonight they're not with us, but do some great stuff in their own rights. That includes Ann Ubellis, host of Southern Sense Talk Radio, uh, Dan Smith, uh, Dan, uh, let me do that again, Ron, no, let me try again, Don, there we go. <laughs> See, I'm I'm trying to run down the whole list, and I'm trying to get ahead of myself. Don Smith is a Don Smith show. Uh, Dan Butcher of the High Plains Pundit. Uh, and, of course, uh, Ron Edwards of the uh, Ron Edwards American Experience, uh, to name a few. also want to give shout-outs to uh, the folks over at Global Patriot Radio. Uh, all of them, all the hosts over there are fantastic. Everybody from Hank all the way to – to golly, I mean, everybody, everybody over there is fantastic and love them all. Uh, the folks over at the English Defense League, I definitely want to give shout outs to them. Uh, Rod Eccles, a uh, fantastic host himself as well, doing a lot of things over at Zinc Media. Um, yeah, I, I better throw Suzette in as well. Uh, Suzette of Suzette Live. Part of the ideas are bulletproof network that can be found over at Spreaker. Okay, so that, that covers enough of that. Now, I wasn't able to get my scheduled guest online with me back for the first hour. That, of course, is retired Lieutenant Colonel Ray Moore. He's the director of the Exodus Mandate Project. He's the chairman of the Public Schools Exit. And uh, I really look forward to an interesting conversation. We're going to try to get them rescheduled. Didn't get an answer, just got voicemail, so hopefully everything is okay, and hopefully we can reschedule and have a conversation with them. Because one of the things that the pandemic lockdowns have done is it's put conservatives in this really weird position because we've been saying for a while now that the public school system has really, really become – and not so good. I mean you still find a few places here and there where academic standards are still high and they're still working hard to do the job of teaching children. But that's become the exception and a very rare exception over the rule. Now, some teachers are great teachers trying to do absolutely their best. They're fighting against a teaching itinerary and an agenda that's been forced on them, uh, these curriculums that they have no choice but to follow. And so it's either give up their jobs or do that, and so they try their best to still bring a little bit of common sense and sanity to the table. Then there's other teachers that have been so indoctrinated in their effort to acquire their degrees so that they could teach that have just they, – they don't even know that they're now part of the indoctrination cycle. So not all teachers are great teachers. Good teachers deserve praise and deserve Way more than we can prof properly give. But bad teachers, eh. And it's because the administrators also have kind of pushed this crazy agenda that have really brought down the level of education. So one of the things that Colonel Moore really has been championing for a long time is for more people to ask the freaking question 
uh, why aren't we acknowledging how bad public schools have become? He tells people every day we've got to stop pretending that public schools aren't bad because most of them, even the ones that do better than average, are still bad in comparison to where public education was a few decades ago. And it still wasn't great just a few decades ago. The downward spiral has been ongoing since governments weaseled its way into more and more control. <sighs> Top-down organization. It's a fantastic thing, right? Well, anyway, hopefully we can still get together and have that conversation at some point in the near future. I'm going to reach out immediately after the show through the publicist, and we'll see uh, what happened. And we'll work on getting it because I really, really do want to to get this conversation. Now, there are links. I don't have direct links, but I have links to a couple of uh, uh, his sites just written out in the show description. Uh, so if somebody wants to kind of just do a copy and paste into your browser to go check out like publicschoolexit.com, uh, you can do that. And uh, you know, just Google. Lieutenant Colonel E. Ray Moore, and you'll get all kinds of great information on him uh, if you are interested. If you tried tuning in tonight for that purpose, and I apologize, but you know that's the terrible thing about live uh, broadcasting is you know one little hiccup and yeah, things go out the window. Things have to change. Now I am scheduled to be joined once again in this hour by uh, John O'Connor. Now, if that name doesn't ring a bell for you, uh, it could be possibly because you're not somebody that followed the whole Watergate thing. <laughs> um, John O'Connor is best known to the world as Deep Throat's lawyer. He's been a working attorney, still works out of San Francisco right now. He's also an author. He wrote the book. Postgate, how the Washington Post betrayed Deep Throat, covered up Watergate, and began today's partisan advocacy journalism. Say that ten times fast. <laughs> He's also the host of the new hit podcast, The Mysteries of Watergate. Now, for some reason, in the show description, uh, <laughs> the link is set directly to take you to the page for the podcast, but it doesn't look like normally the link's the working links looked. So for some reason, it didn't do whatever. But if you want to hit that, it's underlined, and it's in a different font, so you can follow that if you're at BTR. Also, a link to Amazon uh, for a copy of his book, uh, Postgate. So uh, you know, he's been on a few times before. We've had some interesting conversations, and he is coming on to talk about this fabrication of a Trump quote story that we've had fun talking about the last few days. So I suspect since he is both a expert attorney and a very, very harsh critic of the Washington Post, uh, we're likely to have uh, fun having that conversation. In the meanwhile, I mentioned back in the first hour one of the bigger things going on that wasn't getting uh, – maybe it's just me. Maybe I thought there should be more coverage of this. I mean there's there's been some, uh, mostly – Brief blurbs and they're running right past it. But uh, you know, we had these high-level talks between the United States and China uh, uh, under the Biden uh, administration, or as I refer to them, Operation P-Pads and Knee-Pads. 
Uh, it took place on Thursday, and Chinese delegates they were here in Alaska, and so they were on U.S. soil, and they launched an array of, of ridiculous accusations. Uh, and of course, you would expect a certain amount of communist propaganda, all as part of their broader rejection of Biden's diplomatic foreign policy agenda. Now, it's about a surprise. I said back in the first hour that this may just be political theater. I mean, China – Biden's been in the bag for China for a long time. I don't know that it serves them well to try and ruffle his feathers. I mean, I really think Joe, uh, in a very popcorn-esque way, believes he had this tough talk conversation with Vladimir Putin that he was talking about uh, back on Wednesday of this week and his exclusive ABC interview. I firmly believe that uh, he he believes that, just like he believed he was arrested in South Africa and shared a, a jail cell with uh, Nelson Mandela, and which of course that's been completely debunked. And uh, one of his visits that he was under enemy fire, and all these other great stories that Joe has told. That's really a conglomeration of three different stories of what actually happened. None of the three uh, elevates to the level that he likes to tell. And occasionally some of the stories he's telling actually aren't even his stories. It was somebody else that went through it. I mean, at least Hillary Clinton, when she lied about being under enemy fire, <laughs> she was telling a lie that she was making up for herself, not a story that somebody else told, and she was trying to plagiarize it. And let's be fair, Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. has a long history of plagiarism. The man's not very creative. And not very – he's pretty vindictive when he was younger, a very, very angry guy. At any rate, Secretary of State Anthony Bilkin and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, they met with the Chinese government's most senior foreign policy officials, and I'm not going to attempt their names. Uh, well, actually, uh, the foreign minister, Wang Yi, I'll, I will do that one because I can get that one. Uh, but my East Tennessee tongue doesn't do so great with some of these, so rather than have Chief make fun of me in the chat room, I'm not going to butcher these Chinese names. Now, these folks, however, they proceeded to use this meeting as an opportunity to spread abject falsehoods, just out-and-out, bold-faced lies regarding the regime and its policies. So in case you're interested in some of the things that they said, some of the claims that were made by the Chinese delegation, one of the things they said is that China – has made decisive achievements and important strategic gains in fighting COVID-19. Now, the Chinese government is almost entirely responsible for the severity of the COVID-19 pandemic. The virus originated in Wuhan, 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 with the communist government grossly mishandling the initial response. This, of course, included underreporting cases, the distribution of ineffective testing and protective equipment, uh, and international pressure leveled against the often complicit World Health Organization. The Chinese people are wholly rallied around the Communist Party of China is another one of these propaganda statements they made. Uh, this claim is unsurprisingly given uh, the – Considering 
what are the consequences if you're a Chinese citizen and you don't at least look like your holy rally around the party? And dissidents are kind of well, – they're treated kind of harshly. They're punished abruptly, severely, and in many cases, you see family members punished before you're executed. Or if you happen to be a, a Uyghur or some group of that that's considered culturally undesirable, you may find yourself getting an all-expense-paid vacation trip to a, a luxury spa that allows you to stay uh, for, for – well, as long as you need that education that you clearly don't have. <laughs> now… It is fun to see that the Communist Party, they, they do have this way of pursuing those who leave through their mastery of the art of soft power. Yeah. Very hard. In just the past few years, the Chinese government has attempted to muzzle critics by making them disappear without a trace. Former head of Alibaba, just as an example, just poof, gone. They've ordered people to physically barge into their houses or locking uh, these people up, uh, those that are uh, close to the critics, uh, as a kind of blackmail. They'll kidnap them as well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the holy behind the party. Why, why would you not be holy behind that party? Which, by the way, I would like to make a point when it comes to the crisis on the border. Oh, I'm sorry. We're supposed to call that a challenge. We see some very China-esque uh, mandates coming down from Operation P-Pads and E-Pads, don't we? There's literally a media blackout uh, that's been ordered. Now, the media is still talking about it, but they're not allowed to film on any of the facilities for any of these uh, interactions with these illicit migrants are occurring. They're not allowed. If they try to take pictures or video footage now, uh, they try to confiscate them, and they have threatened them with uh, criminal whatever. And, of course, they've given an edict from on high that none of the people that work for border protection, uh, nobody who works for the Border Patrol, is allowed to speak to the media in any capacity. That seems very China-esque to me, at least a little Putin pass at, at any rate. One of the other things they said that makes me chuckle, it makes me feel warm inside knowing that these people can come to the United States and say these things. Uh, they said that our values are the same as the common values of humanity. Those are peace, development, fairness, justice, freedom, and democracy. <laughs> Again, communist Chinese. Okay, red dragon here. I, seriously, justice, freedom, democracy. Hey, I don't even like the idea of democracy. Okay, uh, democracy is a bad thing. Two wolves and a sheep. You know my bit. I'm not going to repeat the whole thing. But fairness, justice, freedom. Well, how much freedom do the Uyghurs have right now? I mean. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez wants to go to the southern border when Donald Trump is president and look into an empty parking lot. But it looked like there was a big tall fence there, so wants to look and cry and claim this is literally a concentration camp. 
when, in fact, over in China right now, that would work. AOC should be talking about China when she says that. Literally a concentration camp. We don't like Muslims here. Well, you know what? China? Okay. Kind of hard to swallow the whole human rights thing when you're literally rounding them up and throwing them in concentration camps. And remember, these are Chinese Muslims. It's not like these are people that ran away from Syria when Europe decided to open their gates up where half of them are actually uh, terrorists waiting uh, to be activated, have their cell activated. No, no, that's, that's not what we're talking here. And literally, as the Chinese delegates admitted by democracy, they're referring to Chinese-style democracy, which means, oh, yes, people may vote, and th- then they may disappear. So <laughs> what Chinese-style democracy means, according to them, is the practice is that the unelected Communist Party of China exerts complete authoritarian dominance over the country and approves which political parties may run under their control. Okay, that's Chinese style democracy. You know, you know, you yeah, you you can run cuz you're just a yes man for us. Something else they said, but for China what we have asked for for other countries is to follow a path of peaceful development and this is the purpose of our foreign policy. Peaceful development uh, again, don't know why they don't like the Muslims so much because their peaceful development is an awful lot like the general Muslim philosophy, submit or die. Now, peaceful development by submitting to our Communist Party desires. I mean literally aside from the fact that China has been involved in the Syrian civil war alongside Hezbollah… Iran and Russia, so-called path of peaceful development, they reference seemingly involves border skirmishes with India in the Himalayan region. Remember, we were talking about that just a couple of months ago, bolstering their ability to attack or blockade Taiwan, and of course flying fighter jets into Taiwanese airspace. This is all part of their peaceful development plan. Something else they said, and (laughs) – man, in China, according to opinion polls, the leaders of China have the wide support of the Chinese people. Now, clearly this is a stab at both Biden now and at Trump previously. Uh, You see, basically they don't realize that this actually represents a strength on our part. We as a nation can be – Bitterly divided on political philosophies, and we still can pull together and kick somebody's backside if we need to, even though it don't look like it right now. Even though, even though, I would, I would literally trust Vladimir Putin if we were fighting global elitists. If global elitists are the enemy, I would literally trust Vladimir Putin more than I would trust Joe Biden. And I know that seems very radical, but let me specify because I said this actually the other day on air with Ron. Ron said something I found myself agreeing with in principle the whole thing. I did point out then it's like now don't 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 just throw in and make Putin an ally here because he's a bad guy. 
and he is somebody who probably did kill people when he was in the KGB and certainly has had people killed since he became president for life. He has said some very positive things about religion, again, only to try and use religious people to rally to his cause in fighting against the globalists. He wants to be in charge, preferably of everything. He's a very hard, old-school, hardcore communist Russian leader. He's a bad guy, but when it comes to fighting the global elites, the, the, the little cabal trying to destroy America in particular, our, our goals align. They're his enemy too. So I'm not going to just give carte blanche. I'm not going to just ignore the fact that he isn't an enemy of America, but I still cautiously keeping an eye on him would trust him more as an ally in that fight than I certainly would Beijing Biden. But according to the Harvard Gazette, opinion polling in China is heavily scrutinized by the government with foreign polling firms prohibited from directly conducting surveys, meaning, of course, the opinion polls in China uh, are heavily supportive of the leaders because they don't want to disappear. Freedom, not exactly something that exists there. They also said, quoting again, and as for China, we believe and we have handled import and export related issues according to scientific and technological standards. Really? Because, you know, I've spent some time looking at information here. I would highly recommend you do the same if you don't already. And if you do, kudos. Kind of thing most people should know. But China routinely ignores international standards when it comes to technology and science. In 2019, according to CNBC, they reported that, quote, just under one-third of CFOs of North American-based companies on the CNBC Global CFO Council say Chinese firms have stolen from them at some point during the past decade. And that one in five North American-based corporations on the CNBC Global CFO Council say Chinese companies have stolen their intellectual property within the last year. There's also been widespread criticism of China's mass infiltration and theft of American research at colleges and universities, just in case somehow you've missed it. Now, if you're a regular listener of this show or a consumer of information from other conservative outlets, you're probably aware of this. But if you're not somebody that falls into those categories, this may be a shocking development for you. Again, I strongly suggest don't take my word for it. Go do your own homework. Uh, you will easily find that to be true. They also said that end with Jinping, Jinping, Tibet, and Taiwan. They are an inalienable part of China's territory. Uh, now, the Zhengxing region of China, officially known as Zhejiang Uyghur, you know, where the Uyghurs are at, uh, it's an autonomous region. Or at least it was till China rolled in and put everybody in concentration camps. It's the country's biggest region. It's located in the northwest of China. According to the BBC, they reported the U.S. has accused China of committing genocide against the Uyghurs following reports that as well as interning Uyghurs in camps. 
China has been forcibly mass sterilizing Uyghurs, women, to suppress the population and separating the children from their families. You know, where's, where's all the crying about that? Again, hey, AOC, where you at? There's some folks that actually need you to put on your theatrics. Tibet, of course, is a remote territory governed by an autonomous region of China, well, as an autonomous region of China, with fatal clashes between anti-Chinese protesters and the authorities in Tibet uh, occurring uh, before the Beijing Olympics back in 2008 was the last time it made national news. But this is an ongoing situation. In 1959, after a failed anti-Chinese uprising, the 14th Dalai Lama fled Tibet and uh, set up a government in exile in India. Most of Tibet's monasteries were destroyed in the 1960s and 70s during China's Cultural Revolution. Thousands of Tibetans are believed to have been killed during periods of repression and martial law. This is all according to the BBC reporting. China regards Taiwan as a breakaway province, which it's vowed to retake by force if necessary. Uh, Taiwan's leaders say that it's clearly much more than a province, arguing that it's a sovereign state. It has its own constitution, democratically elected leaders, and about 300,000 active troops in its armed forces. So, unified, all part of the land? I don't know. Now, they said some other stuff that I would love if I had time to continue to sit here and kind of debunk and play up against, but we're at that halfway point. So it is time for me to go ahead and do a uh, another Edwards Notebook and see if I can't get John on the phone. So you guys, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back after I select just the right one. I'm trying to make sure I don't – I play one of the – the newer ones that uh, Cajun sent me today. I played two. Now I forgot which two I played earlier. Anyway, uh, let's – ah, what the heck. I, I like this one from yesterday. You guys stay where you're at. I'll be on the phone. Don't go anywhere. Okay. No more papers. No more school books. No more teachers' dirty looks. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, it's bad enough that U.S. government school educators are world-renowned for not providing a very good education for our students. But now, more and more people realize that most educators are actually just self-centered hypocritical activists whose only allegiance is to the National Education Association, which supports the Biden regime's effort to educate or indoctrinate children who have crossed our border illegally while U.S.-born students in Los Angeles remain at home. When it comes to U.S.-born students, the Biden regime has often moved the proverbial goalposts amid teachers' unions, which are a major ally of the destructive Democrat Party. While many Republicans favor a swifter reopening of government schools, I personally believe this is the perfect time for good parents to begin pooling resources and seeking authentic educational opportunities for their grossly undereducated children. And tell those self-centered union educators where to go. What say you? I'm Ron Edwards. Check out theronedwards.com. Sponsored by the Tri-County Liberty Coalition. 
All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so very much for staying with me through the very, very extremely small break because, surprise, surprise, uh, worked great first time this week. Got my scheduled guest with the first call, first attempt. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, you probably know him best as Deep Throat's lawyer. Uh, he is still a practicing uh, defense attorney. He has uh, got a phenomenal legal resume, and that just scratches the surface. He is an author, uh, best-selling author, I would say, uh, the book Postgate, which is how we often refer to it, but the full title, Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed a Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan Advocacy Journalism. Fantastic book. And now he's also the host of a fantastic new podcast. I, I don't think I would be uh, wrong in saying hit podcast. The Mysteries of Watergate. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show, uh, Mr. John O'Connor. Uh, John, again, thank you so much for coming back. I, I enjoyed our previous conversations to no end. And as there seems to be no end in the hypocrisy of how the mainstream media, particularly the Washington Post, tends to do their jobs these days, you're always a welcome guest with a great perspective with just about anything we can talk about. Uh, welcome back to the show. How are you? Oh, it's great to be with you. And all I can say is, the past isn't pa uh, the past isn't dead. It's not even past, as someone said. And the Washington Post lied in 1972 and 73, as I talk about 74, and they're lying now. And it's just a shame. We can't have a democracy, as the Post headline says. Masthead says democracy dies in darkness. And now we have a lot of darkness out there. And. Uh, it hurts us. It hurts us. It just it hurts everybody. Yeah, the the one thing that they failed to mention is that democracy does die in darkness, and we're the ones trying to kill it. They they leave that part off. <laughs> but uh, yeah, exactly, I, exactly. And, we're, and they should say it. We're proud of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they should. All right. For anybody who maybe doesn't know what we're referencing about the most current story, uh, we are talking about the recent forced admission uh, of some – well, let me diplomatically say uh, misquotations of our most recent uh, former president. Uh, they claim to have been quoting Donald Trump from a phone call, and now it's pretty clear that not only did Donald Trump not say the things at all that they claim to have uh, – been quoting, but they didn't follow even the most basic of journalistic standards. Now, we, of course, discussed the death of uh, true journalism for a while now. Journalistic standards have been thrown by the wayside. People really don't seem to fully understand that once upon a time, uh, you may have the hottest, juiciest story, and you might want to be the, the, the news team to break it, but you still needed to have sources. You needed to have typically most uh, editorial decisions required at least three sources with at least one willing to go on the record, uh, and so you could be a named source. Now, a lot of that's disappeared because now it's enough to take one anonymous source, and they really love running with it. If it tells a story that they want to tell, if it's uh, by their confirmation of their bias, they're down with it. They really want it to be true. But uh, let me step aside, uh, John, and let uh, you give us your take on this whole situation from uh, start to finish here. 
Well, it looks to me pretty deliberate is what I would say. It's more than simply negligent, and that's what, where I go with that in my book. This is not negligent. It's not careless. It's not just some people who fell asleep on the job or somebody innocently got a story wrong. They do this deliberately. Now, what I don't know enough about is did they ask to listen to the tape? Uh, did, they, did they do that at all? I, I don't know that. Um, and did they have the tape? But whatever they did here, whatever they did, they had no basis for the story. They either had a false basis or no basis. Uh, and, you know, and, and, of course, now it doesn't do any good. Now that the harm is done, it's like Harry Reid saying, well, we won the election. I could lie about Mitt Romney. Well, he's a politician. I mean, maybe we expect a politician to be low sometimes. But this, these guys are out there to tell us the truth, supposedly, and yet that hasn't happened. Uh, and now what I don't know, i got to tell you, is I don't know, and I've got to look into this closely, is to what access they had to that tape. If they had access to the tape and they still uh, uh, reported as they did, I mean, you get put in jail for that if, if you're in the jurisdiction of the SEC. If you're a lawyer in court. You get disbarred, all right? So, you know, they, there's no consequence for these guys, and that's what's so terrible about it. And now, of course, it comes out after the election, and the Georgia election was clearly affected by this thing. A lot of people in disgust that were conservative people stayed away. They stayed away from the polls, and uh, and and that's well known. Now, why they stayed away, there were several factors, but that was one of them, and so – did it change the balance of the Senate? Did this one lie have that much impact? I think it may have, because those races were so deep. So, uh, you know, they say it on their masthead, democracy dies in darkness, and look what's happened. And now we have all this stuff happening in our country, in which, which people are ramming through things uh, from, through Congress, Biden is, or just not even through Congress, just executive orders. But nobody really voted. Nobody wants this. I mean, 20% of the people might want it. But, you know, so here we are. I mean, it's it's just – it's a cry and shame. And the question is, what do we do to make sure that everybody knows about this? I mean, I spent a lot of my – a lot of years of my life just trying to get the story out. And I think it's having some impact. The Of course, the real progressive media tries to stay away from my book. But it's there, you know, so that's all I can do is put it out there and say it's there, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really about all of us. Uh, what we can do is we try to have as big of an impact as we can in, in putting the truth out. Uh, some of us uh, decide to write books. Some of us fight for justice in the courts, as you have uh, you've done both, and now you've gotten behind the microphone of a, a great podcast, too. I was checking out one of the uh, episodes earlier, uh, and I'm glad to see that you're in that space as well because it seems to be the hot media uh, forum right now. Uh, probably have a great reach there. Uh, but I, I want to go back and talk a little bit about that before I let you go. But uh, staying on the topic of, of this conversation, we have a general populace that – seems to be relatively unaffected by this correction, by the fact that they were uh, told something that wasn't true and something that would have only been printed because they refused to do the job 
of journalism, which is what they're supposed to be entrusting them with. Everyone well, should right. be so, angry and up- – go ahead. No, I was just going to say somebody calls up that's got an axe to grind. It's the fellow who wants to get back at Trump. Somebody in that Secretary of State's office is trying to get back at Trump. So now the Washington Post knows that there's an axe to grind, and all they have to do is say one thing. I will gladly run a story for you, Mr. Uh, upset Person. Just let me hear the tape. Let me hear the tape. Now, did they do that? I don't know. Maybe they did, and they deliberately misreported it. That would even be worse. But uh, what – you know, I mean it doesn't make much difference. They're, they're falsely uh, reporting. Uh, they're, they're reporting with no basis. I mean I, I, can I just write anything I want and say it as a fact? Well, that's what the Post did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, what's even more devious about this story, uh, more damaging, is this was done on the coattails of the uh, phone call uh, where there was audio where Trump was basically asking the state officials in Georgia to do their jobs. But again, being somewhat of an imprecise communicator, left a little room for interpretation. And of course, the left runs with it and paints the worst possible picture. So there weren't very many people questioning what this uh, claim was either. They just thought it was more of Trump sour grapes. You lost the election. You're still trying to bully people. And clearly, I I think if you were somebody that paid attention to how Donald Trump speaks and, and become familiar with uh, his imprecise communication, uh, you come to realize that what Trump said in that phone call wasn't what they claimed it was to begin with. But to turn around and see this call now out there, and some people are mistakenly getting across up thinking they're both the same, uh, which they aren't, but uh, to, to see that story when it came out, that probably did turn some folks off that were not going to show up and vote for a Democrat senator in the state of Georgia. Georgia has been a red state for a little while. To see this effort uh, push so hard and to see such a close election and then to have this story clearly affected, and I don't think anybody's really denying that this story didn't affect that outcome, uh, the damage, the potential damage that can be done, the current damage is already being done to this country because Congress is effectively in the hands of the Democratic Party that doesn't want anything positive to happen to this country because when times are good here, they lose victimhoods, uh, and then more people out of the victimhood uh, camp. There's fewer people voting for them. They're all about creating this. Uh, what is the, what is the uh, ramifications down the road if more people don't discover this and don't get outraged by it? If we don't have a turnaround in the midterm election, how dangerous is it if if we really do have this news stay in the dark despite our best efforts to bring it to the light? Well, you know, it's it's a, it's a it's a it's very much of a fight. It's a continual fight. And, you know, they say eternal vigilance is the price of liberty, and that's really the case right now. I mean, you think about it like that other call you mentioned when he says you've got to go find the votes. Well, if you listen, if you put the whole conversation in context, he clearly was berating them for not doing their job and really checking the ballots. That's all he's saying. Go back. If you've got witnesses, if you've got signatures to check, check them. If you've got something you can do on absentees, do it. And that's all he was saying. It was typical Trump. But he wasn't saying do it falsely or illegally. Quite the contrary. He was saying, you know, look for illegal votes. If there's illegal votes, we don't want them. Who can argue with that? Right now, Gavin Newsom 
is uh, they're trying to recall them, and there are 2.1 million people who have signed a petition. Well, my gosh, uh, the Democrats quite properly are challenging every signature they can. I think they've challenged about 400,000 right now successfully. Well, you know, that's okay, but was any of this done in the election? No. It's fine for them to check when they're getting recalled, but, you know, uh, the experts at Brookings Institution said that there should be about a 5% rejection rate in urban areas because the young voters, especially by mail, first time, are not going to do things the right way. The primaries in 2019 suggested a 5 or 6% rejection rate, and there was a 0.3% rejection rate. How did that happen? Well, we've got to tell the story, and, you know, that's the problem is there's been very bad storytelling, and what happens is that the progressive left is very good about fashioning a story and everybody sticks to it. So pretty soon everybody was saying that anybody who had an objection to the election was lying, was just perpetrating hoaxes and fraud. And, you know, it said again and again and again, it's the it's the big lie theory uh, that Goebbels had in uh, – for, for, for Germany. Uh, so uh, that's what we have to fight. And, you know, truth will set us all free, but, you know, we just got to constantly do it. And, you know, even uh, so anyway, it's, it's difficult. And, and thank God for people like you that are doing this every day. Well, uh, thank you for that. Uh, you, you talked about uh, the election process and the uh, the challenging of the electors specifically. So if you don't mind, I would like your uh, official legal opinion on this because I've been saying from the beginning that had that uh, progressed as it should have, uh, the electors from Pennsylvania should have been uh, disputed uh, in a legitimate debate. With everybody coming back after that debate, they should have been tossed out. And the same thing could be said of Wisconsin and Michigan because in in those states in particular, there was clearly instances of changes made to the election rules that did not meet the U.S. constitutional standards. The state legislatures did not stand uh, sign off on those. They didn't make those changes. They were done outside of the grounds of the Constitution. Uh, both Republicans and Democrats should have tossed those out. And even then, and that might not have been enough to change the election. It would not have been enough to say, okay, well, now Donald Trump's president. It would have just required the states to correct those balloting process. Is that correct, or am I just falling in with the, uh, the uh, conspiracy theorist, as I've been being told ever since I first said that? Well, no. First, uh, you know, there's clear evidence of maladministration is what I call it. It's, it's more than fraud. It's just uh, intentionally looking the other way and putting any ballot through, you know, that's on a piece of paper. Uh, that's one of the things, and allowing these dumps in the middle of the night and away from supervision. There, I the uh, Republicans went wrong on this election or were just a little bit more lax than, say, Stacey Abrams. I mean, she went out of her way to change the voting rules in Georgia, and she got these guys to fold. That's really the answer. The governor, uh, Kemp, and Raffsenberger, the secretary of state, just folded like an accordion and said, okay, Stacey, it'll take an act of Congress just about to invalidate a vote. But the Republicans were sitting on their hands. There should have been a suit in Wisconsin before the election. And, and all this anger, which, which was justifiable, should have been directed to state legislatures, and, we, and, and people should have been rallying out there and saying, you guys better do your job 
because the state legislatures clearly under the Constitution had a, authority to throw out the uh, results of the election or do or, or, or take remedial measures, whatever it might be, segregate ballots, whatever, go back and check signatures. But but uh, I, I think we let things get away from us. And once you have to go, the state certified, the legislature certified, we kind of let them off the hook. And, you know, and it really is too much. I mean, each we have a federal system. And I just as a lawyer, I think we should have been doing it the way the Democrats do it. Do do your work up front. And, and that's my only criticism. And put pressure on the state legislators so that they would be, have, feel some vulnerability. Well, those guys are just whistling and looking the other way and saying, oh, yeah, 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 go to Washington and complain. Don't look at us. And nobody looked at the state legislature. So that's my big beef. And I wish, you know, uh, and hopefully we'll do that next time and we'll, you know, really, really watch these things. File suits when people are putting in improper procedures. And, uh, you know, so th- that's what we should have done. But you're right. right. Look, this is a terrible election. This is a terrible election. There's no doubt about it. There's something that I would commend your viewers to called Election Dispute Anthology. You can see it on the internet, Election Dispute Anthology, and it is goes on for pages and pages of all the declarations under and the affidavits under oath that have been filed about election improprieties, uh, statistical irregularities that just can't be explained. It's horrendous. But, you know, uh, we did it the wrong way. That's all I can tell you. All right. Well, one more uh election related question and then we'll we'll, we'll guide away from that cuz at this point I I think most people have got fatigue from it but uh, again I I love talking on air with actual practicing attorneys about this uh this question though goes a little more to uh the actual role of the courts are you concerned at all about the appearance of the courts in these cases where they uh, seem to have preferred to find any excuse not to even hear some of these challenge cases. Uh, does that bother you at all, or do you think that that was probably yeah. appropriate for the courts? Well, I think at the bottom, especially as the federal courts, I think for the most part, for the most part, I think the Pennsylvania and Wisconsin suits were correct suits. The problem is, what is the remedy? I think, and, and I wish the courts would have done like Justice Thomas. And even in rejecting these suits, which ultimately I would have, if I were a judge, I would have ruled, I said, this is unconstitutional, but I can't say that the remedy is to overturn this election. I'm a federal judge, and I'm sitting here, and this should have been done at the state level. Uh, But I would put in an opinion so that the people could see what I'm saying, as Justice Thomas did, uh, about this. Put it in an opinion rather than just, like you say, think of any excuse to sort of badmouth the claim. These claims were actually – a lot of them were very good claims. They just didn't have a remedy or enough proof of – I mean, you know, are you going to – let's face it, are you going to bring in a million witnesses? It, it's very difficult as a judicial administration matter to go re-litigate an election uh, at, the, at that level. That's my problem as a lawyer. All right. All right. Well – I, I definitely want we're, – we're quickly running out of time, John, and I don't want to shortchange you. I want to talk a little bit about the new podcast. I mean we've talked about the book on your last couple of uh, 
visits and definitely still want to send people that way if they haven't got a copy of Postgate yet. You need to. There's a link in the show description here that will take you to Amazon where you can get it, and I'll give John a chance to give you all of his preferred places for you to go if you like. But uh, the podcast has been going on for just a little bit. Now, what made you decide to to bring your Watergate uh, – expertise to the podcast forum and how's it been going so far what what's been the the well the reaction? i'm real gratified by it because i will tell you this if your listeners listen to podcast 1a and the second episode which is 1b which is are really teasers but they talk about what i'm going to do and if you listen to those and if you're not entranced uh you know then you you shouldn't go to the next ones but you will be and what made me do this was I realized that um, some people just don't have the inclination of the time to read uh, thick factual books like I wrote, which is I, which I love to read myself. I love nonfiction. But I wanted to do something that was popular that uh, could get it out, get the message out, and have some fun with it. And I say in my trailer, look, you know, I'm 74 years old. How, how much longer am I going to be around? I might as well put my thoughts down the way I put C Watergate and it's all documented and I try to make it interesting so that people will say, Hey, this is kind of fun. I didn't know this happened. And we're coming up on the 50th anniversary of Watergate. And, you know, they, the post is trying to uh, cement their story in history. It's just not true. And so, you know, I, I think Winston Churchill said, you know, uh, lies get halfway around the world before truth gets its pants on. And so maybe this is 49 years down the line, and I'm, I'm doing this. All right. Well, again, John, thank you so much for coming back on with us again. I, I really do enjoy our conversations. I, I hope you do at least half as much as I do. Uh, real quick, oh. uh, one more time, let let everybody know where they can find the book, where you prefer. Uh, throw out your websites if you're still inviting people to follow you on social media. Anything you want to put out there for the public consumption, go ahead and do sure. that right now. Sure. Postgatebook.com. Postgatebook.com will get – uh, summaries of the book, but it will also get you into the podcast and also into about 50 articles I've written about various things like Russiagate and so forth. And uh, and so it's a great place to go, postgatebook.com, and it's fun. So it, it, we're, it, we'll be dealing with things that you and I were talking about tonight. All right. Anything else you want to share before we say goodnight? Well, I would say that's it, and uh, keep up the good work, and uh, a lot of this is just about dialogue and telling the truth in a cancel culture where we're dealing with people who don't want to dialogue and don't want to discuss what's right and wrong, so it makes it harder. So let's let's go get it. All right. Well, uh, keep, keeping up the good work is my line for you, sir. In the meanwhile, uh, once more – Thank you so much, and uh, I look forward to us getting together and talking again. Uh, I have a feeling uh, it's going to happen. Uh, hopefully, it'll be over some good news. So, uh, uh, Godspeed so. to you, sir. <laughs> yeah, <take laughs> All right, care and now. thank take you. Care. All right. Uh, thank you.
Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it, uh, John O'Connor. Now, I see somebody's raised their hand, uh, and I'm sorry I only got a few minutes left in the podcast, so I'm not going to be able to take your call. But I appreciate you wanting to uh, be part of tonight's conversation. Uh, in the meanwhile, I do need to go ahead and give those reminders. I want to give shout-outs to the folks hanging out in the chat room. Uh, we still have a Crazy Cajun hanging out with us. Green Beasley's hanging out. Uh, a good friend. Haven't seen him in a little while. A great host himself, Joseph uh, Gibson, is back with us. Uh, good to see you there, sir. Uh, Chief's still hanging out with us. And now we have You Can't Steal My Freedom 1, uh, which is another one of the many aliases from one of my favorite folks in the uh, chat rooms to come visit. That, of course, bringing it, boy. <laughs> glad, to, glad to have all you guys here on a Friday night. I want to wish you all a very happy and fantastic upcoming weekend. And, uh, I believe I'm going to be back on with Ron Edwards for his Sunday uh, Ron Edwards American Experience, unless something's changed. He talked about it when he was on with us this past Wednesday. I uh, haven't heard anything back, but I would expect. So please tune in uh, on Sunday about 3 over at mojo50.com. Uh, you'll get to hear him at least, and uh, maybe I'll be there. I, I suspect I will be. In the meanwhile, you guys – Thank you for being here. As always, I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, don't take my word for anything. Not one little bit. That's the challenge for you. I want you to listen. I want you to say, hmm, that's interesting. Uh, but is it true? Then go find out. Be prepared to put in some effort and most importantly, to use your brain if you really want to tap into the truth. In the meanwhile, please uh, stay healthy, stay safe, and, uh, you know, be smart out there, even if it goes against your nature. I'll be back again soon, and uh, good night, guys. Have a great weekend.
is using both hands. using both hands.